Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Never Work a Day podcast. Of course, before we proceed, stop what you're doing, go rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends, post it on social media, let everyone know that you are listening to Never Work a Day podcast. Today's guest, we have Kate Kennedy, who is host of her own podcast, Be There in Five, which is long form and I'll say it. It's my favorite podcast. So there. It's it's officially number one. And on top of that, she is an entrepreneur, social media commentator, and just truly a jack of all trades. I loved talking to her all things podcasting and more. And I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Never Work a Day podcast with your host, Kelly Gibney. On this week's episode, we have Kate Kennedy, an author, podcaster, entrepreneur, amongst many other things. Kate, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So I want to just get right into it and start from the beginning because I feel like there is so much to cover. Um So you, for those of you who do not know, just a little background, Kate has a podcast that I listen to religiously, Be There in Five. She also started the business, Be There in Five, that has reminder mats where you place the doormats inside your house instead of outside to remind you to turn off your straightener, for example. And also, Kate is the author of Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, which is a children's slash adult book. Kate, is there anything else that I'm missing that you want to highlight? <laughs> no, I so appreciate it. I'm so tired of talking about myself. It's nice to have somebody else summarize it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so starting from the beginning, you graduated from Virginia Tech in 2009 with a degree in marketing, and then you went directly into advertising. Is that an area that you were always interested in growing up? You know, I always... Um, kind of, I've always been creative and loved words and wanted to write and do something kind of, I entertained doing something in the ad space, the slogan-y space, the creative side of advertising. But I ended up going into the market research side of advertising, the data on the back end that informs advertising and media plans, which I, you know, I think most random business jobs, people don't even know they exist until they get in them. So did I aspire to be researcher no was it adjacent to things I was interested in absolutely do you think that like market research has really helped you now that you're on like the running a business end of it oh my god yeah having corporate experience like I can't imagine going straight into being an entrepreneur right out of school it was so important for me to learn you know not only the ins and outs of the media industry because my clients were like consumer packaged goods advertisers that use uh, Nielsen as the company I worked for their audience measurement and consumer behavior data to inform where to place their media, how to make the messaging resonate and how to ultimately get the audience to convert in whatever way, you know, matches the campaign goals. And um, I, I don't know, I, learning the industry was one piece, but also working with people, understanding corporate politics, getting familiar with contracts, getting familiar with the sales process you know, have reporting to people, having them report to me, like there's, I cannot emphasize the value enough of my (laughs) corporate experience. And honestly, I I never thought I'd leave it. Um, 
and it's, it's all worked out now. But uh, yeah, I think that it influenced a lot of how I run my business and gave me an education in just approaching things probably more um, organized and professionally than I might have if I did this straight out of school. So you said that you'd never imagined leaving it. Like, did you did you really enjoy your job when you were there? Yeah, I know this isn't a popular thing to say, <laughs> especially <laughs> on this podcast. Um, but I liked my day job. <laughs> That's um, so fine. <laughs> um, yeah, but th- that said, I think I was headed in a direction where I needed a creative outlet. It wasn't as fulfilling. Right before I left, I'd switched into a role that's called a Six Sigma Black Belt. It's a business process improvement role that was really valuable from an education standpoint, but definitely had nothing to do with my skill set. And um, yeah, I, I think that for me, like jobs, it's it's so much less about the the high level theme or the content of the work and so much more about enjoying the day-to-day tasks. And my job was working with people I liked and I working with clients and public speaking and talking of presenting. And I like ads and I liked helping people optimize their creatives. And yeah, so I, I really, I did not start a business because I had an itch to leave. I started one because I I'll try anything. I wanted a creative outlet and it just so happened to work. So like over a year in, I ended up leaving. Yeah. So for listeners who don't know, and I like mentioned it in the beginning, but you you started making reminder mats mainly for yourself just to remind yourself to like turn off your straightener when you're leaving your house. <laughs> when you yeah. first started that, were you once you once you started making them and just were trying to convict uh, to fill a creative void? Did you start thinking like, oh, this could be a pretty viable business? Or did it like shock you when it just took off? Oh God, no! I thought I thought I, I was trying to strike while the iron was hot. I thought I would be a thing for a couple <laughs> months. <laughs> I'd make some side income, take a nice vacation, call it a day, and um, yeah. That when they kept selling, it was kind of a minimum viable product approach where I didn't. I had like a prototype and a vague idea of how to make them, but then when the, the turn off your straightener mat went viral because an Australian radio station found it on Pinterest posted it with like the meme font over it. Like any girls need this. And it got like hundreds of thousands of likes. I woke up. I don't even, I didn't even ship to Australia. I had one mat. It was like this whole thing. Luckily I had made the (laughs) processing time insanely long. I think I had it at like four weeks because I, I wasn't going to like dupe or scam people, but I did. It's not always worth it to put in the cost and time into the business up front when you haven't experienced demand yet. And that's kind of how startups work yeah. to be nimble, to mold to the demand from the marketplace. And so, yeah, once they kind of took off and there was this demand there, I just had to figure out a supply chain and a business model. And I think for my personality type, that's kind of the only way I would have ever done it. Because I think the problem for a lot of people is you, you're working when you're doing all the business before it ever launches. You just like have no idea what the outcome is going to be. No idea if anybody's going to care. But I already knew there was demand. So I think it, that was kind of an advantage for me in having like a focus group of seeing how people reacted to this meme. Yeah, it's kind of like without even thinking, I feel like you just because a lot of advice that like people have said on this podcast and that I've just like heard in general is that when you're starting something, you just have to start. And then yeah. like your first product is not always is never going to be your best product. But I feel like in your case, like it kind you kind of just you started without even realizing you started. 
Right. And like, I had to improve the product so much over time. Um, but yeah, that was definitely, I, I think that it just was a genuinely, and I like the turn off your hair, uh, appliances, especially like was a problem. A lot of people had and a thing people put on a post-it or a sign on their door. And it just happened to be an innovation on a very stale category that just had like welcome or like a fruit basket on it, you know? Yeah. And it kind of <laughs> was the perfect combination of something new on something incredibly old and ubiquitous. No, it's so true. So once it started taking off and the demand was there and you had to meet that demand, what was your thought process in leaving your full-time job and like making this your business and your career? I think that when I had, you know, about eight months probably of demand just continuing to increase and I was getting more, still getting press and different opportunities, I was kind of surprised to find out people were interested in the story. I just like, I, it took me a while to even think of myself as an entrepreneur. I just kind of thought of like a handmade business, piecing things together. My mom and I largely, you know, painted the first, you know, couple thousand. And um, oh I think about a year in when I had taken a different job um, that I wasn't as into. And when the demand kept rising, I was like, okay, I just, I was exhausted. I was working constantly nine to five. Then I was at the, my studio every night, every weekend. I just like, didn't have a life. I didn't mind it because I'm not a person that has like a lot of FOMO. I think if to be an entrepreneur, it takes so much devotion. You kind of can't be an overly social person. Yeah, um, yeah. That's like a, a weird thing to say. I know it wouldn't seem the opposite, but I think you have to be okay giving up a lot to make these things work. And I'm not a person that would ever start something without having another job. I think it's important to have a side hustle and to have like a nest egg. Um, but yeah, I think that it was partial. I wanted to, I wanted a creative outlet to do something else partially that I was exhausted and needed the time to streamline the business. And it was also, um, I, at that company, a lot of people had boomerang, like, taken time off to do something else then come back, came back. And I kind of thought at the beginning, that's what I would do is take some time, get it working, get it automated, involve third parties, make myself a smidge more obsolete. Um, but that didn't end up happening. I never went back. <laughs> do you just fell in love with I that? tried to. <laughs> no, oh, really? well, yes and no. I tried to about like a year or two in, I actually had like a kind of dark period where I did outsource it. I did streamline it. I made myself pretty obsolete. I, oh, but yeah. I wasn't making I, the kind of money I needed to to justify it because yeah. it's, it was an expensive business to run. Yeah, I feel like I've I've remember you saying this on a podcast that I had listened to that you had applied for a ton of jobs but you just weren't getting any traction, which is yeah insane to me, like absolutely insane. It was it was so interesting because I think that. Um, you know, I got that job I liked so much out of school and I'd always felt so confident at work and I thought I had so many relevant skills. And then to build this business, feel like I took on the world because I had to fulfill every single discipline within the business myself. Um, and to have people tell me it wasn't relevant um, was, it, it stung. Like, and it was what? like, wow, it, it just made me have so much more empathy for how tough the job market is and that you have to fit something so specific and niche but there's something to be said for generalists and there's something to be said for being resourceful. I'm like, if I figured this out, I can figure out your market research job. 
even though I've been out yeah. of it for a year. Yeah, you also have six years. Yeah, you've six years in, one year out doesn't like erase all of the knowledge that you have built up. Yeah. So and I think that it was kind of a funny thing where it looks like I'm living this dream and I quit my job, but I wouldn't have wrote, written, written, written a book or started a podcast unless I had like a pretty low period where I was like, what the hell do I do now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like that goes for like an everything kind of happens for a reason, like that low point. Do you think that low point like propelled you and motivated you to then take on more entrepreneurial like ambitions and tasks? I think that I'm so grateful to be there in five, the map business because that was an objectively embarrassing business to start. Nobody got it. It took a while for people to be like, why are you making doormats? Like, what are you like? The, it kind of gave <laughs> me a tolerance level of outside noise that I think prevents a lot of people from starting stuff. And I became very yeah. unafraid to start new things and to just kind of be like, screw it. I, I want to try it and it doesn't work. Like, what do I have to lose? At least I tried. And so I think it, in combination with this low point, this lack, more level of fearlessness I didn't have before in trying stuff, um, I, I think that when you are down, sometimes you have to get back to basics of what truly brings you joy. And you know, writing poems and one, you know, wanting to be an author is something I've wanted to do since I was a kid. I used to be in a bunch of poetry contests and stuff, and it's this random skill I never thought oh. I had commercial viability. <laughs> And um, so that was like a thing I just did to bring me joy in an otherwise tough time, but ended up thinking it had potential and shopped it as a book. Yeah. So you've so you've said that you have always loved poetry. I've read that you always wanted to write a children's book growing up. When you were growing up, did you ever have like ideas of what a children's book would be about? Because I doubt that what it ended up being about is anything you could have possibly imagined. Oh, gosh, no. Um, actually, <laughs> I originally wrote Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, thinking of it as being like a promotion for another book I was writing. But then I realized that the that poem was better and um, there wasn't anything like it in the market. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I wrote poems about like the moon, how I didn't feel pretty about like, you know, rainy weather. I, it was like, you know, nothing that <laughs> concentrated, but it definitely was like a, a hallmark of my personality at a young age. That's so funny. So now that you've written Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star and have had success with it, do you think you and I'm asking this question based on the fact that you do long form podcasting. So most of your episodes, for those who do not know, are one to three hours. Would you ever consider writing like a long form, longer form poem or a book? Yeah, the net, I'm working on some stuff that's not poetry at all. It's like, it's like the opposite of what Twinkle Twinkle social media star was in, in <laughs> more long form, serious adult focused writing. So like not Rachel Hollis, but more serious. Yeah, I'm not a good Lord. I'm not anybody's guru. <laughs> I don't want to be. I think I've learned a lot from my experiences that are it's interesting to share. And I like providing commentary, but that is a tricky space to get into. It's like, you know, I think people like the Brene Browns of the world that have PhDs need to be doing you know the serious work in that space. So yeah, yeah. it's a little tricky to figure out. 
Yeah. No, definitely. So I do want to – so I I kind of want to circle back to like once you – once Be There in Five took off and it gave you – and kind of like hitting that low point and then get getting back up and having the time to write poetry, you also started commenting on pop culture, which mm-hmm. feels like a saturated area, but – at the same time, because like I know with podcasting, a lot of people and like I had this same fear are like scared to enter the podcast world because it is so saturated. But and I feel like pop culture commentary is the same. But with you, you did something different with it in your podcast. But I know it originated somewhere else. So can you talk a little bit about like when you decided you wanted <clears throat> to turn just your commentary that you were doing on like social media into an actual like conversation? Yeah. So when I was kind of in that period where I was obsolete to the map business was shopping books. I also was like, the reason I wrote Twinkle Twinkle too was like, I felt so inadequate on social media, the self-promotion of it all. I was uncomfortable. And I was like, what value can I add here? If I need to shift people from the mats to me as a person, And like, Mm -hmm. I watch a lot of TV. I love pop culture. I love celebrity gossip. Like I love analyzing influencer stuff. And I was talking about it on Instagram and it got a little too long. And I am a huge, always have been probably before even podcasts were popular, like a big podcast listener, because especially when you work alone, like these voices keep me company. And I think I was at a point too, where I was a bit lonely in my career and like wanted to kind of talk it out and be somebody else's company and kind of continue the Instagram (laughs) stories. And from the beginning, I did know that I wanted to elevate pop culture conversation to where it's a little bit more analytical. Um, It's a less about what happened and more about what it means. And I also wanted to incorporate a lot more in the millennial ethos in terms of like nostalgia and things we experience like weddings, sororities, like I think pop culture is the overarching topic, but I think I wanted to inject other aspects of our lives that aren't really talked about in an analytical method, at least not on what I was listening to because podcasts tend to niche down. So I, I went really broad. Yeah. Yeah, Which sounds like a weird thing to do. (laughs) Did you, so what was like your following, like when the podcast started and do you think that the doormat business and like helped you launch like a successful podcast? For sure. I wasn't starting from zero. I probably had somewhere between 15 and 20,000 followers at the time. Um, And I like even that helped me with the book deal. Like even being a slight public figure gives you an advantage in terms of the marketing muscle on the publishers end being a little less if you can self-promote. And with the podcast, yeah, I already had such high engagement among my small following that I knew I could transfer over to the podcast. Um, but it took about a year to like substantially pick up. Okay. Okay. So your podcast, as I said before, is long form, which is not like typical. I would say it's very Joe Rogan-esque that it's very long, but Mm -hmm. you do these fascinating deep dives and like some of the most popular ones have been like the Mormon mommy bloggers and the sorority ones. But I mean, and I'm in your Facebook group. So I, 
I see that you ask kind of your followers, like, what are people interested in right now? But how long does it take you to build up all the research for these episodes? And then furthermore, like, how long does it take you to record and edit all these? Because we're coming off the tales of Call Her Daddy and Alex Cooper (laughs) revealing how long it takes to actually, like, record a podcast. And they're they're bringing a three hour long conversation down to one hour, which is just like, I don't, I can't even fathom how she does it. It's like, that's insane. That's so much to cut out. But how do you, how long does it take you to do all this? It kind of varies. Like a lot of them I'll think about for a long time and do a little here and there and kind of wait till I feel the need to really talk about it. And a lot of them I throw together like the night before, like call her daddy. I wasn't a listener. I knew nothing about it, but I did two hours on it within a week. And I probably took like, yeah. you know, a day or two to like get situated, read all the bar stool stuff, whatever. But that was so fun for me because it was the intersection of so much of my experience. Um, and I wanted to explain the business side because I thought it was unfairly being like tied into the sexual discussion, which people have a lot of strong opinions 100%. on. And I do too, but yeah, I think that can be a separate conversation. But like, I don't know, the like the influence in the time of COVID-19, I did the crowds survey the night before I recorded it. And, but that ended up being a six hour series um, that one, you know, <laughs> two hours a week was typically what I do. But and then like TikTok, I recorded in one pass. I, I think that it's it's tricky because like Alex Cooper, it sounds like they script their episodes. I don't script mine. So I, I kind of yeah. freely talk, get up, let the dog out, eat. Sometimes I'll take a nap or go to sleep, come back the next day. It's not that I speak <laughs> in one, str- one two-hour string, but I it takes a while to edit because it just takes a long time to listen to a two-hour podcast and then be like, what, did I say that earlier? Where did I say that? Do I need to connect these yeah. two thoughts? Did I say? So I don't know. To answer your question, it like com- it completely depends, and that's an annoying answer. But um, no, it's, I spend I mean, the better part the of Monday, Tuesday, half of Wednesday, um, trying to get it together. And I also will record stuff with people beforehand um, that I end up using later. I will front load some things if I don't have time a certain week. So yeah, it's all over. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting just the perspective. I, I mean, I know that I a lot of my friends do listen to Call Her Daddy and we not not to like get into a deep call her daddy conversation right now but <laughs> i i a lot of them do listen to it and i recommended your deep dive to all of them cuz the podcast industry is in such a in such a like there's such a light on it right now which i feel like there hasn't always been and like i've listened to podcasts for like the past 8 9 years like since the first season of serial i was obsessed with mm-hmm. and like I feel like now it's finally coming to light how like insane this industry is. And I recommended your episode to everyone. I was like, you have like, there's a business to all of this. Like, it's not just this like fun thing. Yeah. And them getting, everyone was like, how they're so bratty. They get paid a half million dollars just to talk one hour a week. And I'm like, oh my God, you don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. Sit down and like talk about this because they is it's, how much you're paid isn't like relative to other people. How much you get paid is relative to the value you're bringing to something. And they were bringing Barstool so much income. Yeah. For, oh my God. It's insane. And also like 
the fact that they script their episodes, that just adds another layer of work that they're doing. Like it just, and then with Joe Rogan, then like signing with Spotify is just, all of this is coming to light. And I don't know that they script their episodes, but I say that because a, I've like kind of heard it and B Alex kind of had a Freudian slip of like, I write the episodes, I edit the episodes. And like, even if I slipped up the way I talked about my editing process, I would never say I write them. Yeah, yeah. No, I think she does. I, I'm almost positive she does like script out an outline just because I've I've listened to like a few episodes and they've mentioned before that they planned it out. Um, no wonder it's so but, funny and catchy that's densely packed with like the best moments, whereas mine and it maybe it was yeah. like takes me 20 minutes in between moments. Yeah, I also think it's like, it's. I feel like it's a lot easier, not not easier. That's the wrong word. But having a co-host, you can bounce off of each other, whereas yeah. just like talking by yourself for two hours is a little bit harder to like get those, like those perfect moments. Well, right, and like I don't know, I don't think many people think they themselves are that funny, and half the time the things people like or remember or or think are funny or things like I don't even remember saying so it's like I can't really try that hard to be funny whereas when you're with another person you have chemistry and there's just like a really fun dialogue going you kind of know it's good when it's good but it's like a, a, a mind f to be talking to yourself for hours at a time and to have to subjectively decide what's good when you're so tired of yourself no 100 percent Yeah. And I don't know. I could talk about the call her daddy things for hours. I just think it's like such an interesting case study into this world. But I mean, that's not why we're here. (laughs) Well, I think it'll be like quiet for a bit until like I'm assuming Sophia's behind the scenes planning her next moves. And oh, I'm so like everyone will be re-obsessed once she tells her side of the story, which I'm dying to hear. And I assume she'll, you know, get her own solo podcast or follow through with the Wondery deal or something. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious. She's she's posted on like her uh her not title, but her little info yeah, bio her caption bio. on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> she kind of little passive aggressive action over there, but <laughs> um I so, I, so I heard somebody <laughs> say that they thought it was supposed to be read to the tune of Megan the Stallion Savage. Because it's like six, it's oh six my God. adjectives or something. And I was like, I don't think so. But that's funny if she thought of that. <laughs> I feel like she's not that creative. Sorry. I, I have no idea. Her, but <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> very meta. To, it's a very meta thing to talk about podcasting on a podcast. But that's kind of the world we live in now. I know. Um, inside baseball. Do you think that you're going to do podcasting for a long time? Like is... Does it is it one of the more rewarding aspects of your career right now? Yeah, I love it. I, if I could pod podcast and write forever, I would. Like spoken and written word, I think are the two areas I I genuinely love, and I genuinely like. I've tried so many different things on my podcast. I feel like I've hit more of my stride and like committed to a lot of the things that debatably could have made it not work, but ended up making it work. Um, like the long form and the single narrator and, you know, the under the influencer episodes, the deep dives, like kind of different stuff that I 
wasn't totally sure about, and I'm still having a really good time with it. And every step of my career has been so incredibly random that I almost can't have like five-year plans because I think kind of the beauty of this situation is I've surprised myself because I'm just like, I don't, I would have, five years ago, I was like giving corporate presentations. If you told me to be like on stage doing a live show, I'd be like, for what? Why? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Why are people there? (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's what's funny about life is like, it just, things kind of present themselves. And I don't mean that in a way of like too lofty, like I work hard and I do things pretty deliberately, but I just don't really know where a podcast can lead, but I'll keep doing it until I don't, you know, I don't think I'm adding value, I guess. Yeah, until there's a reason not to. Right. So you you've said on your podcast before that like and I find it so funny just as like I just as someone who like listens and enjoys uh you often will say like I don't even know if anyone cares about this or like I don't know like I don't know why people listen to me and you often say that has that been like kind of a running theme in entering like the entrepreneurial area of like not self not self worth but like inherently as someone who uses social media and is in a business that the consumers guide whether or not you succeed has people's thoughts and wanting to please others been a big part of like the past couple of years yeah, I think with the challenge with the podcast, and I'm sure you understand this too, it's like, I can't go on and talk for hours at a time if I was like faking myself or like, you know, trying yeah. to put on an act. And it's just so much the most raw form of my personality. Even my mom will call me and she's like, I learned so much about you because like, it's just it's stuff I'm not usually talking to people about and um, feedback on your work is usually not personal. It's on your execution of your tasks, but feedback on my podcast is inherently personal because it's just, it's me, it's my personality. And that's been hard. And I guess me commenting in a self-deprecating manner has less to do with like negativity or trolls and more just like, (laughs) it is weird when no one's responding to you and it's a medium (laughs) that doesn't like an Instagram post has comments a story has direct messages a podcast is a very in-depth media form that goes out with absolutely nowhere to comment on the episode specifically unless people do in the facebook group so it's kind of like i'm just putting stuff out there and hoping for the best and i think that's more the fear it's like just do people care about this i'm not going to be able to be told that right now so hoping for the best (laughs) yeah i feel like it's it's also like you're not having a conversation with someone like I mean you have guests on your podcast but oftentimes it's just you so like if you laugh there's no one else to like laugh back at you and like certify right. that what you said was funny or like or any or any feeling that you or emotion you have on like what you had just said which I think right. is like exactly. was that interesting to get used to no, like having nobody respond back immediately yeah yeah. Oh, for sure. I think that um, what's been a, I mean, I'll, like, to be honest, some episode, like some series give me a ton of anxiety, like Mormon Molly bloggers did, True Love Waits did, even like sororities and stuff, because I have sorority sisters mm-hmm. who I love and listen. And like, I just feel like half the time I'm posting, you know, I'm, I hit posts and I like want to scream into a pillow because I'm like, 
this is so it's it's just vulnerability on the next level to have no yeah. input and just to put once it's out it's out so did it take getting used to yes but i'm still not used to it that's if fair that makes sense. yeah <laughs> and it's also like no that no that totally makes sense and i think that's an important thing because like that's just that's inherently part of doing something that you love I feel like like there's just gonna be right I I hate saying I I hate saying like going out of your comfort zone because like I don't think that's the right term but maybe it is I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say I'm just kind of like talking (laughs) no I think you're right and like that's kind of the the very first day I was at my corporate job and I was in New York New York City I was scared out of my mind like I had never lived in a city I didn't think I was qualified for the job like and the very first thing the like a C level person said when they walked into our orientation was, starting today you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable, and yeah. it just was this moment that was poignant to me then. I think about it often now, and it's yes a cliche, but everything I've ever done, the most reward comes from the most risk, and the biggest downfalls come from the biggest risk too. But you know, you just, either way, it's, it's worth it to push yourself or else you're, you're not growing. Yeah. You're uncomfortable, you're growing. Yeah. That's a, that's exactly what I was going to say is like, you, that's the only way you're going to learn and grow and get better, frankly. Yeah. Like Um, it's not a great idea to like go, you know, talk about religion, for example. Yeah. It's also, it's also an interesting thing because some of the topics that you touch on are like, sensitive topics to a lot of people but I think I think you go about it in a delicate way and you always preface that like you're not doing this to like like give a negative look on it like you're just commenting which like that's what we're all secretly doing we are all looking at all of these things and we all have our own thoughts about it we're just not we're just too afraid to say them (laughs) right right and I think there's ways you separate you know, like light-hearted snark from being mean-spirited or like talking about religion as ways you talk about the culture and behavior separately from the doctrine. And I try to find these little divides that take something from commenting to offending. And I don't always do it right, but I'm very, very careful. Um, I'm just not a zero Fs person. Like I said, what I said, no filter. Like I have all the filters, but it's more so I have a natural sensor because I'm just a person Who's, I've never been like that. I've always been very careful in how I speak. Yeah. I mean, I like, yeah. And you don't need like reaffirming on this because you just said it yourself. But like when you say things and like for the Mormon, the more the Mormon mommy blogger example, like you went back and listened to what all of these bloggers had to say when they reached out to you and you corrected yourself. Like, I feel like that, like that just goes to show that people need not be offended. Yeah, I, I, a, re- a really big turnoff for me in a public figure is um, I just I think you can't have an ego in this. And like if you mess up, you mess up. And I think people recognize the human element of that instead of doubling down and being defensive, just like in hoping you or hoping nobody says anything. I try to ask for the feedback and incorporate it to be as transparent as possible. I, I don't want I never want anybody to feel like unfairly targeted but also if i don't agree with something you're a part of like that kind of is what it is too so there's definitely a balance 
to be struck. Um, but thank you for saying that because oh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, tr- I really, I like at the end of the day, like I'm a normal person who like, doesn't like, I, I, I hate when I feel hurt. I don't ever want to hurt somebody, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I do want to touch on, you have created this thing in quarantine, especially where you host zoom parties for your listeners, where people can present PowerPoint presentations on like small topics like that they want to deep dive. How did you come up with this idea? And yeah, just like, how did this come to be? So this is an idea I've like heard about over the years where like friend groups will get together and present on a topic they're like uniquely obsessed about in a professional manner for like 10 minutes. And I've always thought it was so funny. And I kind of think of of my podcast as like a mini thesis about some random topic that like nobody else really yeah, cares about know, totally. into as much. So I kind of love the idea of being more of a community. And as I started doing live shows and stuff, I was like, I really want to maintain like a closer relationship with a lot of listeners. And when we were inside for two months, especially on Saturday nights, I did it once and asked if like five people could present for 10, 15 minutes about something they uniquely care about that's super specific. And I had a lot of people willing to do it. And I think as we've done them, people have gotten you know, more brave and willing to try. And I love the idea of flipping the script. I think it showcases so much how similar, like through podcasts, even if the topics are broad, you find like-minded people and you find people similar to you. And I'm constantly amazed at how like, like like-minded everybody is on that call. Not in a bad way, like it's, you know, not diverse or it's too homogenous, but just in terms of being people super committed to random knowledge about, niche pop culture adjacent topic just for the fun of it just because they love information just because they're passionate about research and I think it's such a funny thing that I I really love so much and I love not being the one that talks I get to know other people (laughs) yeah I think the like-minded aspect of it is like that's something I've really like experienced firsthand during quarantine because I've I've asked I've like joined like five different Facebook groups of like other podcasts or other groups I follow on Instagram, whatnot. And that's like, that's where I get all of my like source of information recently. Like people just being like, oh my God, did you guys see this Instagram? And I'm like, wow, I care about that too. And I wanted to tell my friends about that. Like, it's just so interesting how you can relate to complete strangers because they're interested in this one niche thing that like you also happen to like spend hours on the internet researching. Yeah, for sure. Like Facebook groups are so much fun to be in, but like a panic attack to run. Oh, uh, fair. I, like, yeah. I love, I like, I, our Facebook group is so amazing and I learned so much from it, but like, it's also really stressful when you're doing a, like, I don't really run it anymore because I can't be on it all day, every day. And you, if somebody posts something offensive or off, or we don't like post about like kids or whatever, I want it down quickly and I can't always do that. I'm so lucky. I have moderators that now basically run it for me, but yeah, your decisions become controversial and it's like, it's kind of a crazy time, but it's like one of my favorite things, but also kind of a scary territory where things get out of hand quickly. Yeah, that's, that's so fair. I know that I'm in the girls got to eat Facebook group and they shut theirs down the other day for like a few 
like for like two days because they were like, we need to go through and like sort some of the problems that have been going on in here, which is just yeah. like a headache. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, a, it's it's kind of a tough thing because you have another like job and stuff you have to do. And that's kind of like just an offshoot of the community. That's like a free thing um, that people get really uh, riled up about. And at a point, yeah. sometimes I think for your own like mental health, you have to take some time off. And I, I can understand that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, so going back to more like business in general and leaving your corporate job, do you have any like one piece of advice for someone who is like considering leaving? I, I hate the word stable because it's not, it's the wrong word, but like a typical nine to five to pursue something that they are more passionate about or that's a little bit more creative or out of the box. I know that you said like start it as a side hustle, which I think is yeah. important, but at, like Aside from that, what would you say to someone who's like in that position right now? I think a lot of times, in it's this isn't necessarily wrong, but you have to be careful with it. People will start side businesses not because they love the idea or have so much faith in the value it'll bring, but because they want to leave their job so badly. And I think mm. you leave your job because the business needs you so badly because you want to be working on it. That's where your heart is 100% and not because you want to quit your job. And I think that entrepreneurship is so intense and consuming that I could have never, ever clocked those hours and dealt with a lot of the stuff I did if I wasn't just like my heart wasn't totally in it because otherwise I'd resent the salary <laughs> decrease. I'd resent the yeah. time I was spending. <laughs> it, it kind of, you, you're very married to it. And I just think you have to make sure the love and commitment is there before that's your full-time gig. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely an aspect of entrepreneurship, especially nowadays with like influencers on the rise. And your book actually like kind of talks about this, but like it's so almost glorified, like as mm -hmm. if there's no hard work that is being done behind it. And I think that's so like everyone has not, I mean, not everyone, but everyone I've spoken to on this podcast so far has said that. They worked more hours as an entrepreneur because they're their own boss and the boss is always watching. And while it doesn't necessarily feel like a job because you're doing something that you love so much, like it's so much work. And I feel like that can sometimes get lost. Oh, for sure. I always say like, I think I'm a great entrepreneur and a terrible business owner. Um, <laughs> and I think those are two different things. I think one um, like starts and steadies and hops off and one manages and sustains over time. I was great at the first period, the launch period. I work really well off of adrenaline in that way. But when it came to maintaining and sustaining the business, I just, it, it was actually all the things I'm horrible at. Um, and that wore on me and it wore on the business. And yeah, I think that there's, it's really kind of romanticized the idea of like quitting your job and going off on your own. But when you realize you're working more money for less pay and you when you vacation, you feel guilty. There's no one else at the end of the day to do any work to do to put out yeah. fires like it kind of wears on you when it's just you involved. And it can be really exhilarating, too. But um, I just, you know, would hope that most days I could skew 51 percent 
driven by the ambiguity. And, you know, some days I was definitely tipping over the edge with feeling like I was drowning. But I just always, I never, it's like you're never going to be perfect or approach something perfectly, but I always go 51%. Like I need to have majority stake in feeling positively about this. <laughs> and that's just a bare minimum I ask for. And if I get below that, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying to my sister the other day that like, it, it's it's so interesting, like the rise of social media and the rise of like business within social media that like, I have a cousin who is in eighth grade freshman year of high school and like I can't and maybe I'm just like being naive but like I can't imagine anyone in like that age group and that generation who's like I want to be an accountant or like I want to be a like banker because social media and jobs within social media is so glorified that I like feel like everyone just wants to be an influencer now. I know that is that is kind of scary and it's yeah, kind of the premise of the book is like are we going to yeah. explain this to kids as a legitimate career option cuz it is and to be fair a lot of influencers run really serious successful empires but at the same time um and I kind of talked about this in this episode called millennial where I feel like a lot of millennials are kind of lost in kind of have a more jungle gym than linear career and we could we kind of get a bad rap because we grew up thinking the world was going to look like what boomers worlds look like. So we planned our whole lives for this one world, but now we live in a completely different one because yeah. technology was overhauled when I was in like high school and college. Um, and yeah. I think that it's, that you're probably right because we grew up hearing about these more straightforward jobs that now we're in this world where there's other opportunities. And I think a lot of people are like, "Ugh, I wish I didn't spend you know, five years to become a CPA when I could have, you know, yeah. <laughs> sold sugar bear hair gummies. I don't think anybody's saying that, but um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not I, a lucrative I, business. <laughs> yeah. But I think the other thing is too, that's influencers are going to get more saturated and it's not a thing where you m make money first, grow a following later. An influencer is not something you can call yourself. You have to develop influence over time and building a following anymore is near impossible. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, I'm trying to build an Instagram for this podcast from the ground up. And it's like, I don't know how, <laughs> like, yeah, I feel it's like nothing I'm doing about everything. Skill. It's like, it just is really hard to get people to press follow and pay attention. Anymore. Yeah. And to keep followers nowadays. Like, I feel like everyone is just like, follow, unfollow, follow, unfollow. Um, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just my. No, no I think you're right. <laughs> But yeah, it is it is interesting. I just like I I was one of my good friends was looking at her like elementary school yearbook the other day and going through all of our friends in our friend group and saying like, oh, they want to be an astronaut and they want to be like a sports star and like going through all these like jobs, some of them now in jobs that are like similar to what they aspired to be. And I just want to see the elementary school yearbooks nowadays and like what are kids saying like I just I gotta know because everyone's always on their phone nowadays like and that's got to influence them oh for sure I can't even imagine like like one of the things I remember most about my adolescence is that feeling of like being in a girl group and being left out and like you'll hear mm -hmm. people hung out without you now you see oh it <laughs> I in know real time. like that would be torture the bullying would be torture they're like, I would be worried about, I don't know. I mean, I, 
I really think it's um, got to be incredibly difficult on the emotional, uh, you know, volatility of a young person. Oh, for sure. I mean, middle school was like torturous for me as it was at Instagram. And it's like, just oh god i would have yeah i would i would have scary. It. <laughs> very scary i don't envy those youngins growing up with social media right now Neither do um, I. but on the topic of social media do you have an instagram account that you are currently really enjoying the content that they're putting out there maybe we can help them get some followers <laughs> Yeah, um, I've well, especially in the past couple of weeks, I've been trying to focus on and engage with and find more incredible Black content creators. There's this one account that four women run that I love. Um, it's at Influencing in Color, and it's four women: Nikki, Megan, Shay, and Brandy. Um, who I don't know. They have incredible fashion sense. They share a lot of lifestyle tips, a lot of you know anti-racist education. Um, and I just think they're awesome. And then I also want to shout out two bloggers that are podcast listeners and I love dearly. One's the at the Good Karma blog, uh, C A R M A, and one is uh, underscore happy go curly underscore. And there are two wonderful women that share incredible content and that are more in the micro influencer space, which I am too. And I always want to shout out <laughs> yeah, influencers yeah, of yeah. different sizes uh, in terms of following. Definitely. I mean, these influencing in color, I'm looking at their page now and it looks like like they, they just look like so much fun. Like I want to go to Vegas with them. <laughs> I think that's the thing too, is I like am so envious of like girl crews. <laughs> yeah. All of my yeah. friends have like moved out of the city and have kids and like their own lives going on. And I just miss having a group of girlfriends. And I love following accounts where people kind of band together for content. Yeah, they look like they're like Sex in the City, like four BFFs ready to take on the world. I know. It's so much fun. I love that. Um, well, last but not least, do you want to plug yourself? Where can people find you? Actually, no. Before I do that, I have to ask, what is next for the Be There in Five doormat business? So with the mats, I kind of hit pause um, Yeah, for a couple reasons. One was... Etsy's SEO completely changed to like prioritize makers that offer free shipping. Um, and it's so expensive to ship a mat. My listings got completely deprioritized and I just didn't support the platform anymore because they were trying to optimize it for an Amazon prime like experience when the entire platform was founded on the basis of supporting handmade artisans and makers. Yeah. Yeah. And I just kind of was really frustrated with that. And my podcast had started taking off and being more of an income source. So I was like, let me hit pause. And ever since then, I've been like kind of slowly trying to figure out the best licensing deal and the best third party, like full on fulfillment automation of it, because I still want to offer them and I own the intellectual property for them. Uh, but it just hasn't been a priority. Also, the space, like that space, got I got overrun with competitors. Like it just wasn't it. It wasn't the place I was adding the most value or making the most money anymore. So I'll still do it on the side. It just kind of what isn't my focus anymore. Yeah, that's fair. So how if you own the IP, like how are competitors coming into this page? Which, as we know, thanks to Call Her Daddy, the IP is the most important thing. <laughs> yes. Well. So I just, I, well, two things. One, just the, the 
concept of doormats with quirky phrases, words on them. Like it wasn't really a thing when I started, but now it's like overrun with like doormats with lists and different sayings and whatever. And it's not that they all directly rip off mine, but the, the ones that do, honestly, I used to send cease and desist constantly. The thing with intellectual property as it relates to a product is you're the one that has to police it. You're the one that has to spend all of your energy getting people not to copy you. It's not like some broader legal entity handles it. I don't have a legal department. Yeah. I can't be a lawyer to do that all the time. <laughs> and it just became one of those things where I was like, I can't control what other people are going to do. And for every cease and desist I send, they'll rebrand their shop and pop up elsewhere. I'm not going to pursue litigation. I don't have the money for that. Or So it kind of became a function yeah. of like, I, you know, letting it go a little bit and still policing it when I can, but putting way more energy on moving forward than protecting what I've already done. And I would not give that advice to most people. I just think for my career specifically, if it wasn't where I saw my future anyway, I kind of had to like, step back a bit from being so crazy about it because it's really consuming yeah no that's so fair I mean I feel like that that aspect of it is often forgotten that like you have to police your own IP if you're not like a huge corporation like right and no and one else color, is doing that work for you exactly and like the caller daddy thing like it, the IP I care about is be there in five the brand I care about is be there in five the, what I'm talking about is policing the turn off your straightener, turn off your curling iron, whatever. Like that yeah. stuff is kind yeah, of yeah. whatever. But the bigger, I think you have to focus on uh, what you want to do with like the uh, most broad brand name or thing you have and figure out what else you can do with it. Yeah, totally. Well, so lastly, do you want to plug yourself? Where can people find you? Where can people listen to you? Yeah. So my podcast is called Be There in Five. Uh, my Instagram is at Be There in Five, F-I-V-E, not the number five. And if you're a person that seems interested in the PowerPoint parties, those are through Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Be There in Five as well. Amazing. Well, Kate, thank you so much for being here. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Oh my gosh. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, everyone, you know what to do. Go rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about this podcast and have an amazing day. This has been Never Work A Day podcast with your host, Kelly Gibney, and this week's guest, Kate Kennedy. Bye, guys. <laughs>